0: And so thank you so much for that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So today we're in uh, this series that we've been doing. We've been doing this since the new year started. We've been going through the book of Romans. And really the heart behind studying this letter in the New Testament has really come out of my journey over the last several years that what we believe about God should have a direct impact on how we live our lives. And and I just think that we are living in a time of history where we as the church have amazing opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus when we actually let good, sound doctrine, good theology, good understanding of the word of God change how we live our lives to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be the heart of Jesus in our communities, in our workplace, in our school. Sadly, too many of us build up bad theology to justify bad behavior. And it's easy to look at our bad behavior and kind of twist the Bible to justify how we want to live Instead of allowing the Word of God and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who dwells in every single follower of Jesus to empower us to change spirit-lived lives. So after Easter, we're going to be continuing on this theme, and we're going to go through a lot of different scriptures after Easter. And we're going to do a series that I've, I, I do not know where I stole the name from, I found it somewhere. But we're going to do a series called Holiness. Not holiness, the way you think holiness is spelt, like H O L I N E S S, but whole. W-H-O-L-E-I-N-E-S-S. You are meant as a follower of Jesus to live a whole and complete life. And we're gonna look at different topics of how does that affect my life at work? How does that affect my relationships? How does that affect my view of government? How does that affect me living the life that Jesus has called me to? Right, Because you are meant to be a whole person. Christianity is not just something you do on Sunday morning or on Tuesday night in your life group. What you think about God changes every aspect of your life. And as we're wrapping up, we're literally at the very end of the book of Romans and the way Romans is structured for the first 11 chapters. It's very, very heavy in theology. And then from chapters 12 to 16, it gets very, very practical. And today I'm going to read a big chunk of of Scripture today. So if you have a Bible, I really want you to be following along. Pull out your mobile device, your YouVersion Bible app, your paper Bible, whatever you've got, because we're going to go through a lot of Scripture today, and it's going to be easy to just drift off and ignore me, <laughs> okay? But I actually, I kind of wonder if the reason why... The church feels like we're struggling finding our place in the culture that we live in today. I wonder how much of that is because, if we were really honest, a lot of us are very disobedient to Romans chapter 14 and chapter 15. And and I'm looking at my own heart this morning on this. Where have I been disobedient to Romans chapter 14 and Romans chapter 15. Because if we get Romans chapter 14 and Romans chapter 15 wrong, it should be no surprise to us that your non-Christian family and that your non-Christian co-workers or your non-Christian friends at school would want nothing to do with you. Because if we were truly living out the way... Paul calls the Roman church to in Romans 14 to live our lives as the body of Christ. If our theology of Romans one to 11 actually changed how we lived, then Romans 14 would be ginormous evidence of the life that we are called to live as the church. It would have a huge impact on a watching world. And so the big idea Normally, I kind of go through the text and then I give you the big idea to summarize the text because we're going through a lot of text today. I'm going to give you the big idea first to remember this is that Jesus was others focused. And what does that mean? Jesus didn't come here to get everything that he wanted. He didn't come just to be praised and be put on a throne and to be worshipped as God. He came thinking about sinners. He came thinking about the lost. He laid down his rights as God and allowed sinful men and women to arrest him and execute him, which we celebrate next week. He was others focused. So we as the church should be others focused. That's what we're going to see here in Romans chapter 14. I'm going to break this up into three different parts. I'm going to read first from Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. And this section here is this contrast between what Paul calls weak and strong people of faith. There are some people who are weak in their faith and some people who are strong in their faith. Now, just hearing me just say those two labels... Some of you are already categorizing people into those boxes. How many of you, you started to do that? Okay, you're not going to raise your hand here. Okay, I get it. Okay, because that's like, I'm not, that person's sitting right beside me, that weak Christian. I'm not going to like say anything. Okay. <laughs> See, if we get this idea wrong of what this means to be weak and strong, we're going to treat people wrong. So let me read here Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. And let's talk a little bit about weak versus strong and how this helps us in the big idea that Jesus with others focused, so we should be others focused. So it starts here in verse 1. It says, except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. Let me just stop right there for a moment. If you have a pen and a paper Bible, underline the word disputable matters, like, I can't write in my Bible. Write in your Bible, okay? It's good for you. Disputable matters. We're going to unpack that word a little bit more later. But we have to understand, even after following Jesus for 2,000 years, the church has some things we don't agree on. There are some things that we wrestle with when it comes to certain doctrines and certain theologies and certain beliefs that the Bible teaches. There are disputable matters that we're trying to figure out. And right away, he says, without quarreling. Oh, there's my conviction of sin right there in verse one. But let me continue here. When he explains this, some people whose faith is weak, he talks about this quarreling, disputable matter. We'll come back to it. It says, one person's faith allows them to eat anything. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convicted in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains from meat does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So when we automatically think of this, these categories of weak faith and strong faith, like when we sometimes when you hear the words, someone has a weak faith, My default is to just think of, well, this must be like someone who's new to the faith. This is like a new Christian, you know, someone who's just put their faith in Jesus, maybe last week or, you know, recently they just heard about Jesus, they've just put their faith in Jesus, and now they're trying to figure out this whole discipleship thing, right? Maybe someone who's weak in the faith is just someone who's not done a lot of in-depth Bible study. Like they don't they don't they don't have half of the book of the Bible memorized like some of you do. They don't have all of their doctrine perfect yet, and all of their theology perfect yet, or they don't have an MDiv yet. They don't have a master's of divinity yet, so they're weak. Right? We we kind of categorize people here, right? But based on the examples of the text, because how do we get our definitions? From. If the Bible is explaining something to us, we have to get our working definition from the text. A mentor of mine once said if you have a question about the Bible, the best place to get the answer is your Bible, not YouTube. Okay, read your Bible. Okay, and so it's talking in here. So these examples, Paul's giving two very specific examples when talking about weak versus strong people in the faith. He's talking about food laws, and he's talking about Sabbath. That's what's being discussed here. Food laws and Sabbath. And now this makes sense when we go back and realize all the theology that Paul was doing in the first 11 chapters of this book, is because some of the biggest tension that's going on in the church in Rome is whether or not Jewish people are getting along with the Roman people. Because the Jewish people have a very, very rich history, a rich religion, a rich background, beautiful and deep traditions that they've had for generations to draw people closer to God. And the Romans don't. (laughs) They don't have any of that stuff. There are a bunch of pagans who worshipped other gods and did different religious practices. And then they hear about Jesus. They repent and turn from their sin. The Holy Spirit comes into them. There's evidence of salvation because of the spiritual gifts that they receive that Paul talks about in this book. But now there's this tension. What do we do with all the food laws? Because you can go, if you, if you want to have a little bit of light reading, just go and grab your Old Testament and read, before going to bed tonight, Leviticus chapter 11. And then attempt tomorrow to implement Leviticus chapter 11 into your life. Of all the things you can and can't eat. Bacon. Bacon. I'm just drooling, thinking about it. I don't know why bacon, it's this beautiful package. And then I cook it, and it gets so small. And there's just not enough of it to satisfy this salty, meaty desire that I have. (laughs) And for me, bacon is perfect evidence in the existence of God. How an animal that eats garbage can produce something so good. (laughs) Okay? But according to Leviticus chapter 11, I am in deep, deep sin for this. Okay? There's the tension. If someone comes from a Jewish background and says, you can't eat that. Or I talk to one of my Muslim friends who goes, you can't eat that. Or I talk to different religious people who just feel this conviction that we're not supposed to eat that. There's a tension there. Yeah. Same thing with the day, this holy day, this Sabbath day. Like, I think all of us, you know, if you've been a Christian for a long enough time, and you've been coming to church on Sunday, if you studied your Bible, you do know that Sabbath isn't Sunday, right? Yeah. I remember the first time I heard that. It's like, what? What? What do you mean Sunday is not Sabbath, right? Because the Jewish people, their Sabbath is Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown, okay? It's the last day of the week. Sunday is the first day of the week, okay? The church changed this when Rome kind of got involved, and we're dealing with all the pagan religions, and we're trying to clean up all of these pagans that were kind of coming into their city and disrupting things, and they said, well, let's just pick this day, and we're going to clean this up. And some people said, okay, we'll move it to Sunday, Mm -hmm. because according to Romans chapter 14, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. But then others, whole entire denominations... It's a huge deal to not keep Sabbath Friday, sundown, Saturday, sundown. I personally observe Sabbath Friday, sundown, Saturday, sundown because I'm so religious and I'm Jewish deep down. No, because I work on Sunday. (laughs) Sunday's a busy day for me. I got a lot going on on Sunday. So to sit there and say Sunday is my day of rest. Not always. It's a busy day. And some people go, Pastor Kevin, I can't believe you told people that you don't observe Sabbath on a Sunday. It's like, but th- See, this is what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about religious tension. And he uses two examples here. Food laws, Sabbath laws. And he's bringing this to the church that's living in the most advanced city that humanity has ever seen up to this point. And he says, you need to figure this out. And he said, the strong people in their faith, it's not that they've been walking with Jesus longer. It's not that they knew their Bibles better. is that they've learned that the observance of these laws is not what pleases God. Whether I eat meat or don't eat meat, whether I do Sabbath on Sunday or I do it on Saturday is not what's going to get me into heaven. That's why he spent 11 chapters talking about what gets you into heaven, what makes you right before God, why he had to deal with these, break down these religious traditions, right? This is why he says in verse three, Paul writes, he says, the one who eats everything is okay before God. The one who doesn't eat everything is okay before God. Because what made both of these groups okay before God? Jesus. It's a good Sunday school answer there. Jesus is what makes these two groups right before God. But yet in our human nature, one of us wants to be right but which one is it? The Bible must tell me it's one or the other. Are all Christians supposed to be vegan? Some believe that. And God blessed them. And others like me eat a lot of meat. And God blessed them. But look at the heart that Paul's driving at here between the strong and the weak. In verse 3, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does for God has accepted them. This is this whole conversation about unity. Again, I shared at the beginning of the service, I was uh, out yesterday for most of the day with a number of pastors and leaders here in our city who have a huge heart To see the Church of Ottawa uh, break down denominational divisions, racial divisions, gender divisions, and truly be united in Jesus' name. And we're very fortunate here in the city that we've had many ministries over the last several decades that have built a solid foundation on unity. But we've seen over the last three years a breakdown in unity. Where we took disputable matters, things that do not impact our walk with God, that do not impact our relationship with God, and we've broken unity on those things. Where we as pastors break fellowship with other pastors because of their viewpoint on certain things where we judge and hold them in contempt for where they landed on a certain religious tradition. There needs to be a huge season of repentance for us who have done this because God accepts them. They may have done things a little bit different than me. Maybe I've done things different. Maybe, you know, all these different things. God accepts them, right? And then Paul says these words here where he says that he emphasizes that each person must operate with a clear conscience, regardless of their practice of these food laws or Sabbath keeping. And this is the second point that I want to talk about because we have to unpack what does this clear conscience mean, right? Because here's the reality. Clear conscience doesn't mean you and I have a free pass to sin. A clear conscience does not mean we have a free pass to live any way I want. Right? So let me read here. Let's continue reading in verses 13 of Romans 14. And again, we're all seeing here how Jesus was others focused. So we as the church should be others focused. So it continues, Paul says in verse 13, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind to not put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. Again, he's going back to this picture of food law, that the Jewish people believed some food was clean and other food was unclean. And if you ate anything that was unclean, you couldn't go to temple. You couldn't worship. You couldn't even be with the people of God. You had to be isolated until you could become pure again. Nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it's unclean. Right? If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace, and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. But it is, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine. Or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fail. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubt is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Okay. Now, this section, again, gets really, really tricky for us as the church to live out. Gets very tricky on how this lives out. Now, the beginning part should be simple, right? Like in verse 13 where it it says, you know, stop judging each other. I don't know how to make that verse any clearer than how it is. Now, again, let's just have, I mean, the Bible teaches that confession is good for your soul. So let's just have a moment of confession. How many of you have ever judged another Christian? It's okay. You can raise up. And if you're new to Greenbelt, welcome to Greenbelt Church. Look at all these hypocrites here. It's amazing. That's why I love our church. Okay? We wear judgy. There's something in our fleshy human nature where we are judgy. Yeah. And again, this commandment doesn't get any clearer. Stop it. There's the spiritual discipline of stop it. Yeah. Stop being so judgy. Yeah. Right? We need to let, and you can't do that yeah. on your own. Only Holy Spirit in you can change you and to break that down in your life so you become less judgy. Right? So that part's easy, right? But then it gets complicated where it says, make up your mind not to cause someone to stumble. And, and this idea of causing someone to stumble, it's the idea that something in my conscience that I've deemed is okay before God, again, because the Apostle Paul teaches in other parts of his writings that everything is permissible, It's okay how you eat. It's okay what movies you watch. It's okay what video games you play. All of these things, it's permissible. Now, not all of it is beneficial, Paul teaches. It might kind of make your heart a little darker. It might make you feel a little bit more wounded, a little less free in Christ. But it doesn't impact your relationship with Christ. But then he gets into this tension point. Of making sure you're not doing something that causes someone else to stumble. Now, here's the challenge of this, and this is why it's so important to realize what Paul's talking about here. Here, he is not talking about sin issues, he's talking about religious tradition. Big difference. If someone says to me, well, Pastor Kevin, my conscience is clear watching pornography. I don't have a problem with it. Your conscience is wrong. Can I get any clearer? Or can I get an amen? Okay. See, because the Bible teaches us that your heart is deceitful above all things. And when your heart says there's no problems with me watching pornography, your heart is wrong. Because that's a sin issue. Okay, when your heart says, there's nothing wrong with me being a total jerk to my wife. Sorry, babe. Okay? Because it's this I deserve. And I, you know, and she made me angry. And she shouldn't treat me that way. Blah, blah, blah. No. (laughs) Because that's a sin issue. And the Bible tells you husbands to die for her. To lay down your life for her as Christ laid down his life for the bride, the church, to mutually submit to one another. Mutual submission is a beautiful, godly thing, right? Not, Paul's not talking about sin stuff here. So if you are dealing with sin, and you go, Pastor Kevin, I'm not comfortable you kind of correcting me, because my conscience is clear. And I'm the weaker brother here, So you just need to accept that I'm weaker right now in the faith, and I should just keep living my life the way I want to. Okay? Romans chapter 14 is not a free pass to keep on sinning. Not a free pass. And it's not a free pass for Christians to not build one another up. To correct. To rebuke to encourage, to spur on, to lift up, to pray for, to walk arm in arm with. That's the call of the body of Christ. And again, Paul talked about this in the earlier chapters. What Paul is talking about is stop fighting over the things that don't matter. A lot of time people come to Greenbelt and um, don't stay here. And they don't stay here, Um, and and I've been told this, like, to my face. I can't go to this church because you wear jeans. And when I was younger, I would get massively offended and fight them. Well, show me the Bible verse. Show me the Bible verse that says I should be in a robe, wearing a collar, with a big sash. Okay? Show me the Bible verse. And, I, and, and there's this tension in it, and I break unity with that person. If for you, a pastor wearing jeans on Sunday is a problem, God bless you. <laughs> Find a church where the pastor doesn't wear jeans. It's not a disputable matter. <laughs> You know, we have people like here in the city of Ottawa, like in Canada, like we do have a rich history in Canada of people who grew up in liturgical church. And if you don't know what the word liturgical means, that's okay. It means very kind of traditional way of doing church, like the Roman Catholic Church or the Anglican Church. Canada has a rich history with that. And we've had people who come here and go, yeah, the rock band, I just can't handle that. The jeans and the t-shirt and like, you know, like I just can't handle this. I need, I need, I need the tradition of the church. I need, my life is so chaotic that I just need something that's stable. Something that just transcends time. God bless you in that. That's what Paul's addressing here. It's those type of religious tensions, right? That we shun other believers over disputable matters, like things that we can disagree on. And now, this isn't just a kind of, you know, traditional church versus evangelical Protestant church, because in the Protestant church right now, holy camoly are we not getting along. There's so many things on the function of the church that we're fighting over. And that we're splitting over, and that we're not getting along with one another over over things that are not sin. And this is where the tension point comes, is because for so many of us, we think these things are sin. And that's what exactly here Paul addresses. Paul says, "If eating meat for you is sin, don't eat it. and go to a vegan church. That's what he's saying. If for you this other issue is sin, then just move on. Don't break unity over these things. Right? And so we got to realize this tension. Because again, we can use this whole weaker brother, weaker sister, stronger thing. Don't do things that cause other people to stumble. Some of the ways that this can be manipulated and used in a very negative way is go, well, the church can never change. We can't implement a new program or we can't shut a program down that's not working because some people are going to be very offended if we change. And that's going to cause the weaker brother to stumble. It's not what this means. It's not what this means at all. So we can't use this as a pass to sin We can't use this as a pass to stop church leaders from leading with all diligence in order to bring the gospel to all the nations, right? There's a tension here, but there's a beauty in understanding this doctrine of what Paul is getting at. So again, because Jesus is others focused, we are other focused. Paul talks about the weak, the strong, talks about it's not a pass a free pass to sin. And then the last thing, the last part I want to focus on for the remainder of our time is in Romans 15, verses 1 to 13, where it shows us beyond a shadow of a doubt how Christian maturity is others-focused. Christian maturity is others-focused. Let me read verses 15, uh, chapter 15. It says, We who are strong... Again, so he goes back to that strong versus weak category. What does strong mean? It means knowing that these religious traditions aren't what save you. Those who know that Jesus is the only way to the Father, that it's only by repenting of our sin and believing in the Son of God, believing that Jesus was rose from the dead, that we're made new and holy. That's what makes you strong. We ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Others focused. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past, so he's talking about the Old Testament here, was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, and so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. For it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Again, referring to the Christian, whether they're Jew or Gentile, whether they've been walking with the Lord for generations or whether they've been walking with the Lord for just a few weeks, knowing that it is Jesus and Jesus alone that makes us right with God knowing that it is the indwelt power of the Holy Spirit that strengthens the church to live in hope and in peace with the people around us. We don't judge. We don't look at the failings of others. We don't look at the failings of a culture around us and belittle them and mock them. And feel it's our place to put them in their place. (laughs) It's not our role to look at other churches and other denominations. (laughs) Where God is moving. Again, I'm not talking about churches that have moved away from the biblical teachings of your Bible. I'm not talking about churches that say Jesus isn't the only way. I'm not talking about churches that... (laughs) There are churches now here in Canada that don't believe Jesus existed not talking about that <laughs> but those who have truly put their faith in the lord right we ought to bear with this with one another right this is this section here is referring to believers right that we don't have to adhere to these religious rules in order to please god that we have this freedom of conscience in christ in these in these laws and in these traditions Right? And what's fascinating, what I love about this section about being others focused, right? Paul is encouraging way more than just simple tolerance of people who think differently. It's not just tolerating them at a safe distance, it's true unity. He wants there to be a strong sympathy and relationship between one another, right? a willingness to restrict our freedoms for the sake of someone else that will set aside our conscience and our convictions so that we can worship and we can love on someone who thinks differently than we do. Again, yesterday I was at this meeting again with all these pastors and leaders here in our city and I'm the only Baptist in the room. Okay, and some of you don't know what that means, and that's okay. I'm going to explain this. Not only was I the only Baptist in the room, I'm the only person who was educated in what would be called a Reformed theology school. If you don't know what that means, you're going to sleep so good at night. Okay, don't worry about it. Okay, (laughs) just Google Baptist Reformed and have a great time with that Google search. Okay, but I'm the only Reformed Baptist in the room. And the people there are praying in ways that I don't pray. And they are worshiping in ways that I do not worship. And a little part of me was getting judgy. It's like, why is it every person who gets up to the microphone has to pray like, in the name of Jesus, why do you all pray that way? And here I am getting judgy. And I'm like, dude, you're preaching on Romans 14 and 15 tomorrow. Shut up. (laughs) Like I'm literally sitting in this room judging people while they're praying to the king of kings on their style of prayer with Romans 15 sitting in front of me on my lap. Verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the way God wants you to live. That's the way God wants Greenbelt to live. That's the way God's calling his church in this messy culture to live. Your theology, even where we disagree on non sin issues, it should bring joy, it should bring peace, it should bring trust. You should overflow by the power of Holy Spirit in you, living this out. So what does this mean for you? Three questions that I want to leave you with. Talk about these in your life group. Talk about these in your family. Because if you're like me, you have struggled here. I just shared how I struggled yesterday on this text. You struggle with this. At work, you struggle with this. In your family, you struggle with this. I know you do. So ask yourself these three questions. What am I still getting hung up on? Is there something about Christians who behave different, act different, worship different, have a different doctrine that's not a sin issue? Am I hung up on that? Ask yourself that question. Ask yourself this question. Am I giving myself a free pass? My conscience, which is allowing me to keep living in this sin, whether it's the sin of judging other people, other Christians, other churches, other denominations, or whether it's just this sin that you're stuck in and you're giving yourself a pass. And then the third, where do I need to start putting other people first? And if you're already walking with the Lord in such a way that's putting other people first, ask God, how can I do more? How can I do more? How can you use me more to be the hope, to bring hope, to bring joy, to bring peace? Because Jesus was others focused. We should be others focused. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your forgiveness that is available in Jesus' name for the way I acted yesterday of judging the prayers of brothers and sisters in the Lord. Thank you for the reminder of how my flesh likes things my way. And my religious tradition likes things my way in ways that are comfortable and familiar to me. And Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would set me free. Set me free from whatever is holding me back to truly love the body of Christ the way you do. Forgive me for the times when I have broken unity over my contempt and my judgment Forgive us, Lord, when we have broken unity on things that ultimately don't matter. Because all that matters is Jesus. And that Jesus becomes known in our city. That the people that we work with, the people we go to school with, the people in our own families, would know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one is going to come to the Father except through him. Help us to be men and women, boys and girls who bring that hope and that peace everywhere that we go. Let our theology, our view of salvation, our view of heaven and hell, let all of these things change how we live, God, for your glory. And just right now, with every eye, uh, eyes closed and head bow right now, maybe some of you might be here, maybe some of you are watching online, and you've been dealing with just religious tradition, And maybe you grew up the way I grew up, thinking you need to be religious in order to please God. I grew up thinking God hated me because I couldn't keep the rules. But I hope that you know that today God loves you and that you can be strong in faith, not by keeping rules and regulations and traditions, but by simply turning your heart to Jesus saying, Father, forgive me a sinner. Come into my life. Make me strong. If you pray like that this morning online, a pop-up shows up, click that and let us know. We'd love to get some resources to you. If you pray that this morning here in the room, come and tell me in the cafe afterwards. I'd love to just rejoice with you what God has done in your life today. And for all of us this morning, as we continue to worship our great King, ask God those three questions. What am I hanging on to? What am I hanging on to? Where am I still getting hung up on that I need to let go? Where am I giving myself a free pass where I'm not letting you, Holy Spirit, change me? And where do I need to start putting other people first? (laughs) Let's continue to worship with that posture this morning.